What's up, everybody? It is, uh, Christ, what day is it? Wednesday, April 11th, 2018, and this is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Fun show planned for you guys today. Um, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about, um, let's see. Oh, I don't know. Conor McGregor stuff, UFC 223 stuff, Brock Lesnar stuff, whatever you really want to get to. Best place to get your questions in. Two ways you can do it, for the most part, where this window is embedded on MMA fighting. Questions that turn green get priority, but not exclusivity. And then, of course, for the last 15 minutes or so, I'll go live on Twitter. You can tweet me at L Thomas News. Um, I believe my connection is fixed. So, you know, last week we were in New York and I was just getting baked under those lights. I feel better today. Uh, and the time before that, I had a disaster here in the studio. I had the Comcast lady came. We had like an outage. And then I could tell the internet was jacked up. She came and she's like, yeah, your router, your modem is fried. So uh, she gave me a new one. You're hooked up to the hard line now. So this should be better. This should be better. Also, got a bit of a collector's item. Look at this. This is when Dutch was in... Um, when Dutch was in the jungle covered in mud before he fought the Predator. Pretty cool, right? I'm a big uh, Schwarzenegger, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Stan, historian, whatever the word is, I'm that. So there you go. Uh, okay, appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank you so much. Without further ado, got my Coke Zero. Let us begin. Let us begin with... Tell you what, boy, the last week, my block and mute button have got a workout. It was unusually bad on uh, social media this past week. Well, last week, anyway. Okay. Let's do this. First question, McGregor. Luke, I really don't like the current incarnation of McGregor, this person writes. I really like the old one who was hungry and who had razor wit. Connor's rise through, let's see here. Check out something. Yeah. Connor's rise through 2013 to 2015 was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but ever since the, the El Chapo press conference, he has been on this weird gangster wannabe trip. Number one, this person writes Connor has made multiple racist and homophobic comments in public, i.e., Cholo. Boy, the F word. And most recently referring to Habib as a mud rat. Where did he do that? I didn't see that. Every time it seems to get passed off as just a thing or that's Connor being Connor. At what point do we accept he might actually be a bit racist, xenophobic, homophobic, etc.? Well, hard to know because, uh, one, it could all be an act. Or at least part of an act. Uh, intentionally provocative. Or two, it could just be that, you know what, this goddamn fan is killing me. Hang on. Sorry about that. Um, so one is it could just be part of an act, so it's really hard to know. I don't I don't know Conor McGregor, right? So I can't I can't really say. Uh, the other one is that he likely comes from a part of the working class. Um, America is the same in this particular regard, but working class Ireland. Not that I'm in any way, shape, or form an expert on working class Ireland, but working class people typically have. Um, 
I mean, what do you want to say? They're, they're a little bit less, they're a little bit more, you know, you don't, you don't want to overly stereotype, but I just think among that world, there is a lot less hand wringing over the use of these kinds of terms. I think it's probably a relatively fair way to put it. So they don't exactly see that they're necessarily engaged in behavior that uh, would be considered that, although there's obviously a bit of a debate about that as well. Um, but at what point do we accept that he might actually be, you can accept that at any point you want. Like if you really wanted to take those terms and their significance and the use of them seriously, you have plenty of ammunition, but people are gonna, going to have a sliding scale on that and how much they really care. Um, but sure, you know, you know, no, no one's record is squeaky clean, but there's plenty if, if you want to you know, live that way. Uh, two, he slapped a Bellator employee. I'm told he hit a, a UFC employee as well, by the way, and pushed a referee after jumping the cage and now has assaulted other fighters and UFC staff. Correct. It seems unlikely he will be punished. What level of violence does he have to commit to actually face some sort of consequence? Well, that's a great question, but it depends what you mean by consequence. Um, so there's an article out, sorry, I got an HEI. There's an article out today, uh, I think it was tweeted by Eric McGrack in Combat Sports Law, and it noted um, sort of the nature, like if you're a felon and you have a visa to work in this country, things can get complicated. But A, he may end up just pleading down to a series of misdemeanors, right? You know, they get the charges not dropped or whatever, some kind of plea agreement or whatever. But it's unlikely that he ends up facing felony charges, number one. Number two, as I understand it, this will be his first offense, criminal offense, uh, in the United States. So as a consequence, I talked to a buddy of mine who was a criminal defense attorney, um, actually in New York as well. And he told me that it is very unlikely he serves any jail time. Whether you're a fan of that or not, that appears to be the case. So that's two things to consider. Uh, and then three, the visa that he would need to compete, even if he were a felon, wouldn't necessarily be taken away because it's either a P or an O visa, which, yes, can be complicated by by virtue of being a felon, but more typically would be um, uh, not necessarily imperiled because you're not looking for a permanent kind of stay. You're just looking for a temporary one to do work, collect a paycheck, and go home. And they're, they might be a lot more lenient with that. So to answer your question... You know, what type of violence does he have to commit to actually face some sort of consequence? Well, from the law, it probably means a lot more than what he has, or at least the secondary offense, since this is his first one. If you're the UFC, it's a really simple answer. They either can't do anything, or they won't do anything, or it's a combination of the two. Uh, maybe they could do something, but it would be financially ruinous. But that gets back to the idea of it being something that they can't do. So to me, this is a real simple one. The instant that doing business with him is bad for business, they'll stop. But we're nowhere close to that. In fact, we're not even in even. I mean, that scenario is so far away from what we are. Um, it, it's not even worth taking seriously at this point. I mean, it's probably worth having a discussion about. But the answer is, we are very far away, very far away, right? Because it would have to be something like, and of course he has done nothing like this, but it would have to be something like a Jerry Sandusky level of, of you know, heinous crime or something, right? Where the mere attachment to him in some capacity would be considered, you know, toxic beyond comprehension. But as long as they can do good business with him, why on earth would they stop? Why on earth would they stop? Because 
there's no cost that they ultimately care about. And you could say, well, what about the cost to their brand? What about it? Um, it, it, it is not an insignificant concern. It would have consequences later on down the road about what kind of decisions they made as an organization and what kind of principle they stood on. And if you're willing to allow this, um, what happens when somebody not as famous as McGregor does something similar? Yes, you could say, well, the same maxim would would uh, be employed where um, if it's bad for business, they'll let them go. If it's not, they won't. But then you ultimately end up developing a, <clears throat> developing a bit of a reputation as an organization that is, um, you know, you will do the expedient thing for financial purposes and not much else. And that carries a little bit of cost, social cost down the line. Remember, the UFC is always trying to be partners with um, the mainstream. What television outlet can we partner with? What mainstream celebrity can we have here? What big time sponsors can we have here? They're, they're always seeking that. But if they really felt like that was imperiled, in some kind of way maybe this calculation would be different but it's not it's not it's just not you can if you're a conor mcgregor critic out there okay you're entitled to be that but you have to just face the facts we're not in any kind of scenario right now where his actions have imperiled the business or his own business or his ability to generate business in the future it's just not true or you know we'll see what the courts do but um But we'll see. But no, there's really the only thing that concerns me. And I'm someone says, can you please keep the answer short? You've spoken about this extensively in your YouTube channel. There's a lot of good questions. Say like your perspective on. Yeah, sure. So I'll, fine. So I'll end on this. I will say um, the only thing that I'm really concerned about, and I know people have been pissed off by saying this, but what do you want me to do? I got a job to do, right? My job is not to say everything that makes the that pleases everybody. Um, I, I honestly almost hope would something would happen to him here. Not because I'm like, oh, we got to get Connor in some kind of Scooby-Doo villain sense. Oh, those pesky kids. It's not that. It's that nothing ever seems to happen to him until you get to a situation where something terrible happens to him. And I don't really want to get to a scenario where something terrible happens to him, something really tragic, something really bad for his business. That I, I, I don't want to get there. And I'm a little bit concerned about getting there because if nothing else happens to stop us from here to there, um, why wouldn't it just keep getting worse? If you're a young guy full of money and you feel morally justified by your actions, even if you're legally imperiled, chances are there's a, there's a case you might do it again, particularly if you are provoked in some kind of way. And to an extent, he was, in fact, provoked. Um, I, I, I'm not worried about anything else but really that, to be quite honest. And I hope that's just being paranoia uh, or paranoia speaking or something else. But my concern is not so much what happens to him this time insofar as it would be bad for business, but rather because it's not, what will it look like next time? I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, someone says... Someone says he will face some consequences this time. I seriously doubt it. Not well. Uh, so here, let me read you what my friend wrote, who is a criminal defense attorney, who operates in New York. Now he doesn't have clients like Conor McGregor, but the point would still stand. Um, here is what he wrote: depends on a lot, but no jail time. I suspect he pays the victims for lost wages and medical bills. The court will likely order anger management. 
Um, it's likely he'll be convicted on misdemeanor only. However, let me caution you, this is only a guess. Um, there, It gets more complicated if he gets a felony with his visa or immigration issues, but even then, there are ways around that. Uh, he can still fight anyway if it's only a felony, depending on what kind of visa he has. It will also depend on the severity of the injury of those who are affected. But there you go. People keep thinking, oh, the, 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 you know, the law is going to hammer him. We'll see about that. Now, if he did it again, mm, okay, it'll be a little bit different. But with a clean record, with a good attorney and a lot of money, you can get, you can get away with a lot. Someone says, um, Connor was literally high-fiving cops at the precinct. I, I think some of that was just uh, Photoshopped. I'm not saying all of it was Photoshopped, but I definitely saw a couple of Photoshopped ones like that. New York state courts aren't exactly going to throw the book at him. That's true, too. Someone says, this is very embarrassing to the officers, but it does not tell us too much. One, professional prosecutors will decide what happens with the case, not those officers. Correct. Two, it's pretty likely that the prosecutors who work this case are not McGregor fans. Probably also true. Three, while some lawyers might wilt under the spotlight, some might relish the moment and enjoy having a high-profile case. Getting to go against top defense attorneys when the bright lights are on you and you hold all of the cards, video evidence, witnesses, etc., sounds like a good time for a lot of lawyers. Yeah. Yeah, but ultimately the court is not going to let uh, people just take Connor for all of his money. The damages will be commensurate with what the perceived damages actually are, not some grand notion of how much wealth we can take. You just heard my buddy, who's a criminal defense attorney in that state, tell you what the likely factors are that are going to be weighed here. It is possible things could go bad for him, but it is at this juncture, it seems most of the most of what we know tells us that it would not it would not be. Um, terribly substantive again you can like that fact or you can hate that fact but it's a fact pay-per-view indicators hi luke aside from dave Meltzer, what indicators do you use to estimate pay-per-view numbers i don't put out my own individual pay-per-view estimates but i think i know what you're getting at let me finish your question what indicators can fans use your ufc results i see your views for ufc 223 is around 126k versus ufc 222 which is 69k that's also not correct does this mean Habib Iaquinta did around 500k buys versus the 260, according to Tapology for Cyborg Kunitskaya? I'm curious how UFC 223 did as McGregor's antics made every new source, but the pay-per-view card wasn't especially strong. I would not look directly at my YouTube paper, uh, my YouTube numbers, or even MMA Fighting's YouTube numbers as any kind of grand one-to-one um, -one experiment. Also, I separate out my main and my co-main. And so I get I double dip a little bit there in terms of the numbers overall collectively it did about uh, I want to say 250 260 thousand or so well maybe a little less than that but right around well how much oh I think you know actually closer to about 210 um, but you can go back to the Edson Barboza fight which did not do particularly well uh, on pay per view didn't do poorly and of course that was not the main event but still and I did gangbusters for that one I think that was the cyborg fight. You can't do that. If you're looking for like a best indicator, um, the number of overall Google searches is sort of a decent way to go about it. When I look at traffic, I don't look at one-to-one. -one, I just sort of look at thresholds. How many hundreds of thousands does it go up to? Um, where's the audience coming from, right? And I sort of paint a composite picture. I'm also looking at what kind of traffic articles are doing in the week leading up and then the days after. Again, the number of Google searches. When Dave Meltzer, may, Meltzer excuse me, makes estimates, it's because he believes he has a number figure from various sources at the various MSOs who are collecting um, the, pay, the the buys. So for him, he's got a pretty good sense about what kind of numbers they're doing. He's not doing, well, if we did this kind of number on YouTube and then these kinds of numbers on articles, here's my mathematical formula to produce something else. No, he's hearing. 
as I understand it, hearing, hey, we sold about this much, we sold about this much, we sold about this much, and then sort of it's an arithmetic um, calculation at that point. That, that's that's the way it goes. Because remember with YouTube or any site, it can be really complicated. You can get somebody famous to retweet something and it blows up. Your YouTube algorithm can be finicky. You know, for example, my UFC London thing I did on my, my YouTube channel did really well, but it was because nobody else had any real UFC London coverage, at least stateside they didn't. So it did really well in the search. It, it can be complicated. So it's never a one-to-one, Barbus is at the door. Um, just keep that in mind. So I don't do estimates. I, I kind of have a general sense of where things are based on my historical understanding of if you're looking at this kind of traffic, it means, you know, typically this area, but they're very loose and, and uh, Dave's, that's why Dave's estimates are much, much better um, because he has a real keen sense of what people are actually selling. Someone says that, oh, they're quoting me. Someone says, I'd rather eat an S sandwich than watch WrestleMania. Luke Thomas, 2017. I'm sure I said it. Uh, waiting patiently for a live stream of you eating a <laughs> S sandwich. Well, that won't happen. How many beers did it take to get you through that donk fest? I would have watched to find out, but I can't watch anything pro wrestling related without wanting to defenestrate myself, this person writes. Are you a fan of pro wrestling now where you pay to do this act of masochism? No. In fact, if anything... I wish I was paid. I wasn't. And if anything, watching that event, look, here's the thing. People are going to say that this is not true, but it is true. I swear to God, I do not go out of my way to be a dick. Uh, I realize I am, I, I understand that sometimes it comes across that way because I have an acerbic, very, um, you know, declarative way of saying things to put it in a, in a euphemistic terms, but I'm not, I don't want to go out there and hurt everyone's feelings and say things I've tried it before. And, it's not that I mind if I really want to die on that hill, but I don't want to die on this hill. I have lots of friends who like pro wrestling. Here's what I'll say. I gave it – I knew I wasn't going to like it, but I at least tried to go in there with an attitude of like, okay, try not to hate it, and I came out detesting it like I knew I would. I, it, it's not for me. I just can't do it. Um, you know, it's, I, find it, I find it impossible to, to enjoy, basically, in any level at all. Um, it's, it's, you know, and look, I understand people would look at MMA and say the exact same thing. They would look at the predator thing and like, you spent money on that. I get it. I'm not telling you that I have some kind of firm grasp on cool and uncool far from it, bro. I got no grasp on that whatsoever. I'm just telling you personally, these people were like, Oh, I saw people tweet me. be like, we get you eventually. There, there was no better way to turn me off from pro wrestling than getting me to spend four hours watching that. I came out of that wanting to die, basically. It was the worst thing I'd ever seen, far and away. Um, I have no concept of how people enjoy it, but but I understand we live in a round world where people have a lot of different ideas about what's good and what's bad, and a lot of people like it, and, and look, they're having a moment right now, you know? Um, one of our biggest stars went over there and became one of their biggest stars. And one of the ones going back and forth. But then, you know, there's, there's just a lot of interest and popularity in, in that uh, entertainment right now. And you can't deny that. And I'm not trying to deny it. But all I can say is I'll never do that again. Not, not even if I'm paid, man. I can't. I can't. It is not for me. It is not for me. It is not for me, you know. And I had, you know, my buddy Raphael was like, I'm going to convince you to be a fan. As I said then, I'll say it again. It's like trying to convince me to be a fan 
of child pornography. It's not going to work. It's never going to happen. People are like, oh, you're comparing pro wrestling and child pornography. No, I'm not. But I'm saying um, it's as equally difficult of an uphill climb for me to enjoy. I can say that much. At the end, they're very different things, obviously. But no, ne never again. That was a giant waste of my life. Please, God. Uh, what? All right. Floyd versus Connor. Oh, is this what we're talking about? God damn, y'all. Pro wrestling and Floyd Connor. Oh, you all know Israel Adesanya fights this weekend, right? Y'all know that. Against Marvin Vittori. Y'all are aware. There's actually like good, elite, awesome MMA this weekend. And we want to talk about this shit. All right. It's your chat as much as it is mine. Hey, Luke, is there any truth to the rumors that were brought up by multiple sources that there was going to be announced a Floyd versus Connor fight in the octagon under specific rules or something stupid like that if the bus attack didn't happen? Now, I didn't give a S about it when I first saw it posted on some unknown webpage, but then I started seeing articles from Forbes and so forth. Rogan was discussing it with Boz Rutten. Well, here's what I'm going to say to you right now, and I'm going to make this very clear, and I'm not going to mince words about it. it I'm, I can't ignore this potential fight. I cannot ignore it because it's just, uh, it, A, it could actually happen. Uh, you know, you guys saw my cynicism and my inability to believe anything from Mayweather versus McGregor and it all happened. Okay. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. So it might actually happen. Um, if it happens, it, it will be stupid. It will be very, 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 very stupid and will have little to no redeeming value other than somebody like me, I can admit up front, would benefit heavily from coverage from it. Uh, here's the reality. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a promise to you. I won't ignore this news altogether, but I'm really not going to pay much attention to it, to be quite honest. I'm going to acknowledge it in as much as I have to through the chat or uh, when something actual happens about it. But for the rest of the time, I'm just going to ignore it because here's the reality. Either, either this is not real and we're all wasting our time and I don't want to waste any more of your time or my time doing anything other than what I know to be concrete. Uh, or it is going to happen, and it's going to happen under two different circumstances. One, he actually fights MMA, uh, and if he fights Connor, he will get absolutely massacred, no doubt about it. Or he fights somebody else, and it will be terrible MMA. Or he does fight Connor, and it will be under a dumbass rule set where, once again, we're going to hamstring Connor to preserve Floyd's ego, and then we will also be doing something stupid. I'm, I'm not interested in that. I'm super, super not interested in that. And I would really encourage you to also not be interested in that. And I can't make you, um, nor am I going to spend a lot of time trying to not make you. If this is what you want and this is what the wider world wants, well, then the tide will take us all out to sea and drown us there. But I'm just saying, insofar as I can swim away from that, I will. I do not want to spend any time talking about gimmicky, bullshit, nonsense fights that don't prove anything that don't show anything that exist as some kind of mental masturbatory activity not interested i like mma show of hands do you like mma 
Okay, me too. Who here likes good MMA? Right? Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I like good, nay, elite MMA. I really think at elite MMA, that's the sweet spot. And yes, we occasionally all have an appetite for the freakier side of things. When there's a Yeranoka and some guy the size of the Empire State Building is being armbarred by Fedor. We all have our vices now and again. But the majority of the time, especially when the sport could use a reminder about what portion of it is and isn't good, this is the most I'm going to talk about this fight ever until it is, in fact, concrete. And even then, I will give it short shrift. It's dumb. It's idiotic. It proves nothing. And for Connor, if this is true, and it may not be, so I don't want to blast the guy, but if it's true... It is the biggest waste of somebody's prime I've ever seen. At least Floyd has the decency to do this in his 40s. You know, if Connor's actually doing, oh, he's going to make a ton of money. Why the, why do you care? Why do you care? There's nothing for you. Israel Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori does something for me. Justin Gaethje versus uh, Dustin Poirier does something for me. It's a return to the consumer. And I would love to see Conor McGregor fight. I do not need to see Floyd fight ever again. I do not need to see him lace up gloves. Nothing. I'm so over that shit. I want to see elite MMA, and I want to see an elite competitor like Conor McGregor in his prime out there competing, not throwing hand trucks or dollies or whatever they are at buses. And I'm pretty sure a lot of you feel the same. I am an MMA fan. I love MMA. I want to see MMA and I want to see the highest level of it. That's why I got into it. That's why I enjoy it. That is what sustains me. That is why I am a fan. All of this nonsense is a total obstruction to all of that. Uh, all right, here we go. Some true or false. Hiya, Luke. True or false. All right, here we go. Habib defends the UFC lightweight title in Russia. Do you mean like next or like ever? If the, if the question is next, it's definitely false. Habib versus Tony ever happens. True. I'm convinced that fight's going to happen. I'm convinced that fight's going to happen. Al Iaquinta's damage taken versus Habib alters his career for the worst. No. Uh, wasn't, it wasn't quite enough. Al Iaquint is a very good fighter, and overall in his career, he has not taken a ton of damage. Connor goes to jail again. You mean like ever? Oh, God, I hope that's not true. I'll probably say true. Connor should knock three fights off every UFC card. <laughs> uh, not in the way he did, but you, we could use, I'll say false, but we could use a few less fights. Uh, New York State Athletic Commission robbed Max Holloway. I will say true. I will say true. UFC robbed Anthony Pettis. Robbed. Um, I won't agree that they robbed him, but they definitely mismanaged that situation. Uh, UFC moved RDA Colby to make sure Colby didn't get murdered in Brazil. Yeah. So as a matter of fact, I, I don't I don't know what he said on Aero Show. I have not had a chance to hear it yet because remember, I got to do my show and a podcast that day, so I'm behind. But... He was on my show on Friday, and on Friday, and that was like right before the presser because we were right across the street from the um, Barclays Center, and he comes over, and we talked, and he the whole time was saying, um, yeah, you know, they've pro promised me Secret Service level security there and blah, 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 
And then it goes and gets announced that it's going to be at UFC 225. And I was like, well, why didn't he tell me that? It turns out he didn't even know till the very last minute. I think the whole Connor thing was like too much of a security challenge for them. And they didn't want any part of it, which is really interesting. He told me, I asked him, this was my question to him. I was like, what are your DMs like these days? He goes, they're insane. I get death threats all the time, all the time. Apparently there are like, like favela leaders or something beyond just the random people who have sent him death threats. And again, I think you can we can all agree that you know that's not a fair penalty for whatever infraction you think he's committed. Um, so to answer your question, did they move RDA Colby to make sure Colby didn't get murdered in Brazil? I would say true. Uh, murder might be a strong word, but somehow physically harmed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Bellator gives Roger Ware to another fight for sure. True. Benson Henderson gets a Bellator lightweight title shot in 2018. Hmm. True. Ronda's striking <laughs> against Triple H was better than all her UFC fights. Guys, you please don't make me talk bad about pro wrestling anymore. I can't do it. I don't want to be every – I mean, I don't mind being a villain. I really don't. But I just don't want to be a dick to things that people like. Any, like, if I can avoid if I can avoid it. Yeah. Um. Sure. Sure. I'm not sure really what to say. Luke, you get questions about Nick Diaz all the time. I certainly do. And there has never been a story. That's true. Well, now I'm hoping you have something to work with. Is Nick going to return? I don't know. I have, I have not talked to his manager. The good one. Will it be this year? I don't know. Who should he fight? Uh, anybody in that top 10, which you're going to say, oh, he doesn't deserve it. But would you like him to fight a middleweight or welterweight? Middleweight. And is he still relevant and or competitive? Relevant, yes. Competitive, hard to know. He's 35 in August, but he's not taken a lot of damage recently and probably stayed in reasonably good shape, I'm guessing. Um, 37 fights on the clock with one win in the last four latest UFC run in the last fought January 15th. I still think he's probably competitive. At the very, very high end, no. But, you know, middle and down, maybe a little bit. Oh, I hear Barbas. I can't tell if y'all can hear him or not. Someone says Nick Diaz versus Bisping. Oh, that would be tremendous. Perfect fight. I mean, you, fights don't get much more perfect than that, to be quite honest. That would be a perfect, perfect matchup. Someone says, um, also, what about Cowboy Cerrone versus Lawler at welterweight? They already did that, right? Um, someone says GSP is not going to partake in another Diaz fest. No, he definitely isn't. Definitely, definitely isn't. This one's not wrecked, but it's kind of interesting. Prior to this weekend, I watched, excuse me, I rewatched some old Thug Rose fights, including her total beatdown of Paige Van Zant from a couple of years ago. Surprisingly, Paige was the betting favorite in that fight. That got me thinking about old fights that we could look back on the odds and say, what the hell were they us thinking? Here are just a few that stick out. Paige was a minus 140 favorite over Rose. That's not a substantial favorite, um, but I see what you mean. And by the way, wasn't Rose either coming off of a loss or just the one win? Let me verify that she was coming off of yes the angela hill win which was good but she'd had two losses back to back prior to that and Paige van zant was coming into that contest with uh you know on a th one two three fight win streak so keep that in mind but i see what your point is mcgregor was a minus 400 favorite over diaz okay but diaz was coming in on 10 days notice that's not that crazy 
Brock was a minus 200 favorite over Kane. That one's a little crazy. I can understand that. Verdum was a minus 200 favorite over Stipe. That's a little high, but it was his hometown. He was on a nice win streak. Are any of those surprising to you? The Brock won, yes, for sure. Anything we can learn from this? Being an odds maker is hard. The numbers don't always reflect the actual odds intentionally. right? The odds might look a certain way uh, designed to elicit betting. One of the best things I ever saw was not so much about these fights in particular, but I talked to a guy who knows a lot about MMA stats. And they were saying that a lot of odds makers, especially when the UFC was really you know, expanding on, say, 2012, 13, 14, that a lot of odds makers were taking baths on these European fights because they were trying to make odds for guys they just didn't know a lot about. And this is still a problem, although less of one. Um, but they were, you know, they, it would be like Donkey from Czech Republic versus Donkey from Northern Ireland. And they didn't really know much about them or, you know, how fast these guys could improve because a lot of them were in their early 20s. And the results would just be bloodbaths for the odds makers. And so you could say, wow, look at all these upsets that are happening. But are they really upsets if the initial odds you were laying down were just jacked up because you were working with very incomplete information? It's sort of an interesting mind game you can play, but um, you get the idea. Um, But for those individually, again, guys could just be confused. Humans are uh, imperfect. Some of those odds may be designed to elicit betting, and then some of them just could be, you know, straight up wrong. Uh, let's see what we have. Huh? Zabit Megamed Sharapov, future champ. Zabit impressed again at UFC 223, and he looks like the real deal. By the way, if you guys hear banging, no, my neighbors are not in love with one another. Uh, I have construction going on at the house, so you may not be able to hear it. I can hear it, but I don't know if it's coming through to the microphone. Um, can you see something that sets him apart from other up-and-comers that have been billed as future champs? Yes. If so, what makes him special? Let me finish the question. Or is it like always, we will have to wait and see what happens when he starts fighting top 10 or top 5 guys? Well, it's definitely going to be the case to see what happens when he starts fighting top 10, top 5 guys. Yes. Um, and there are a couple of issues. There is, I think he wastes a little bit of his energy with some of these high, you know, low, low percentage, high amplitude kind of jumps and kicks that he does because he's very athletic. But they're not really a very smart way to fight for the most part. Um, two, I realize he had a bit of a broken hand, but he might have some finishing issues that he wants to work on because his control is amazing. His ability to strike is amazing. His defense is amazing. His speed, his athleticism, these are all great. But maybe, look, I'm not I'm not saying he can't get over anything. I'm merely articulating a viewpoint of here's something that an up-and-coming prospect continu- needs to continue to develop. Um, so those are some things. But you're asking, like, what makes him special? I actually did. I actually did an entire Monday morning analyst about this guy when everyone was like, who? In fact, let me go back and look at this just to prove a point, if I may. You know, this is the thing everyone's like, you guys should give coverage to people that no one's heard of. Uh, And it's like, well, when we do that, you don't watch it. So, I mean, hold on. There's a beat. Pull this up. When was this? Yes, uh, four months ago, I got 15,000 views after UFC Shanghai. I did a Monday morning analyst called Monday Morning Analyst, Zabit Magomed Sharapov, MMA's Next Big Thing. This was four months ago I did this uh, and because I, I couldn't believe how, how good he was. I absolutely couldn't believe how good he was. Um, so to me, it's a lot of things he does well. He has absurd takedown defense. He's fast. He has a, a, a wide array of throws. Um, 
He has a good jab. He's got good striking defense. He can strike in close range outside. He can strike at distance. When I think he can learn to manage his cardio better, I don't think it'll be at all liability. He's got good he, – he beat Mamre Shaman Marais using uh, knee on belly the whole time. He's got great rides, great top control. He's got a good get, ability to get up from underneath. Like He can do basically everything well, athletically, quick. He makes good, for the most part, makes good, quick decisions, you know, when to react. Again, some of the things he has to work on, man, you know, taking away some of that flashy stuff because I don't think it services him in the end a whole lot, that it might cost him a little bit, especially getting a guy like Kyle, Kyle Bokniak who just kind of stays in your face. Maybe he's outgunned, but he's going to be very hard to put away, so you've got to be very careful about that. There are some things to work on for him, to be sure, but you want to talk about somebody who just looks the part, uh, they don't come a whole lot better than this in any weight division ever. Um, to me, you're looking at a guy who I don't know if he's going to hold a belt. You can never say to be sure, but he looks to me like somebody who's going to contend for it and, and may hold a title one day because he is an excellent fighter. Just to add, not a question, 145 might be the best division in the UFC in the next year or so. I'm sure I missed some names, but there's a good number of legit young fighters in this division. I love the youth growth out of featherweight. You have Holloway, 26 years old, Ortega, 27, Yair, who still has a lot of life left in him, 25, Hanato Moicano, 28, I think he might be closer to 29, Bektich, 27, Miles Jury, 29, Korean Superboy, 27, Zabit, 27, Arnold Allen, 24. Shane Burgos, 27, Knight, 25, Feely, 27, and this person writes, and don't forget the veterans who could still be fighting at the highest level in the next couple of years, like Korean Zombie, Stevens, Edgar, Edgar, we'll see, Swanson, Aldo, Elkins, Lamas. Curious to see how this division would look in 2019, 2020. Great point. Great, great, great point. Love how featherweight has really come into its own a little bit here and still has a lot of room to grow. When all this talent matures, it's going to be amazing. Someone says, I didn't like Zabit in that fight. A lot of flashy stuff, but not really that impactful. And he took a lot of damage and seemed to fade towards the end. There are a lot of people who think he would have lost if this had been a five-round fight. I don't think that's true. I think in his case, the hype is bigger than the actual product and output. He knows all the techniques, but doesn't seem all that effective using him. There is a question about finishing ability. I I will agree to that. Someone says, he had a broken hand in the locker room before the fight. Someone goes, then he should go for submission stuff. You realize that will impact that too because you still have to grip for the takedown or grip for a body lock or grip a hand or grip a wrist or any of that. Like That doesn't make it easier. That, that makes all your submissions harder to pull off too. Not a very, not a very um, capable challenge to the aforementioned argument. Let's see here. Can you recall a fighter who consistently won 10-8 rounds like Habib and how important that could be when he's involved in closer scored fights? Not to my knowledge. Habib got a lot of credit. I mean, a lot of guys win 10-9s. Like Fitch won a bunch of 10-9s back in his UFC run. Habib got a lot of criticism for his stand-up and particularly his high chin. Okay. Where do you personally draw the line between unconventional technique that can be successful and just poor technique that could be exposed because Habib did 
uh, out jab Iquinta, who himself is a good striker? Um, it's a great question. So I thought that uh, on Ariel's show, I did hear this one, Javier Mendez, talk about this. Namely, that um, one of the reasons why he thought Rogan's criticism was unfair was because um, look at the the strikes that Habib was throwing. He took a couple of things at liberty there, but for the most part, it was one and one, two, I mean, maybe a one, two, three, not even any fours, you know, um, nothing like that. He was, he was, he was sticking to what he knew and was staying in that, in that, uh, range. And as I mentioned, both literally and figuratively, and as I mentioned on Twitter, when I posted my Monday morning analyst, here's what you can say about Habib striking. It is limited. It's limited, but it's effective because he doesn't expose himself to too much risk in the course of striking. And on top of that, he has already established 10 minutes of dominance where somebody like Iaquinta can't really let his hands go as much as he probably would like and be on the balls of his feet and moving and dancing because he's worried he's going to get lifted off of them. right? So there's also that impact as well. So to your point, where do you draw the line between unconventional technique that can be successful and just poor technique? Poor technique ultimately won't work. Um, and poor technique or I should say unconventional technique that does it also marry within it a sense of risk management uh, is not to be participated in. But what Habib does is he says, here's my technique. It's, it's, got, it's got some value. It's got some real limits. Let me only employ that to the extent where I'm not really exposing myself to risk. You saw the Monday Morning Analyst. I showed you round four all the times even Iaquinta attempted anything with his hands. And why did I pick the fourth round? Because that's where he did the most damage without being taken down. So when you look at that, you look at the shots, some of them landed nicely. Some of them were very nice shots from Ally Quinta. But a lot of them either missed or were blocked or they kind of landed on Habib, but he was rolling with them, right? If you roll with the punch when it lands, it has an impact, but it's not necessarily that big a deal. You just kind of take it a little bit. And... Uh, he did that. And so as a consequence, he kind of kept himself in, in a good spot. Um, he was okay. And I think that needs to be taken into account uh, personally. But you're asking what's the difference between poor technique and unconventional technique. Poor technique doesn't work. And unconventional technique that can get you in trouble is when you, like for example, if you can't take somebody down because you're stuck, so you're just going for Iminari roll after Iminari roll after Iminari roll with no real consideration. You know, that's not what Habib was doing. He was constantly pumping the jab, constantly, constantly, constantly staying in that face, keeping the distance, threatening enough takedowns to keep Iaquinta honest, and then by the fifth round, taking him right back down. It, you know, how much damage can we really say Habib took? How much can you really say his takedowns were thwarted? They were, if you look, again, I mentioned this before, on the Monday morning analyst, go look at his percentage of takedowns. They're almost right in line with his historical average, and his average is a very high average for or at least a very high level of success right so keep that in mind let's see here let's see <laughs> fam was out there making noise uh, despite repeated attempts to please ask him not to do that drives me crazy uh let's see Chandler versus Gertz. How do you see this fight going down? I actually see this fight as relatively dangerous for Mike because it's not that I think Gertz is as good of a fighter as Chandler. I don't. 
but Chandler will take some risks, and Gertz is the kind of guy with big power and athletic ability who can make you pay. So Chandler needs to fight a little bit smarter early on. He's a better fighter, there's no doubt about it. But I'm a li- that's I think that's a tougher matchup than I should say this. It could be a much tougher matchup than I think many are expecting. Let's see. All right, here's the next one. Okay. Ali Abdelaziz. Luke, have you had many dealings with Ali Abdelaziz in your career? Not many, handful. What is the deal with him and your take on how he is to deal with? I'm a big follower of MMA, but I usually ignore any noise going on outside of the cage. However, this guy seems to pop up more and more mainly for the wrong reasons. Oh, my God. I'm just going to absolutely murder my family. Please, family, please don't make me murder you. Where was I? Uh, he seems to operate with a, quote, gangster persona, and I am unsure how much of that is real, given there are a few slurs about him following a qu- quick Google search, which I'm sure you know of. And he obviously has some links to Dagestan, which comes with its own questions. He was involved in the Habib Artem Connor issues last week, but he was on the bus. I mean, not much you can do about that, I suppose. And made some shitty comments on Ariel show on Monday. I didn't hear those. Is this guy a good agent for the guys he manages? And he's, is he promoting MMA and his clients at the, in the right light? I thought he managed mainly Eastern European, Middle Eastern fighters. No. Uh, but when digging into him, he, I realized he managed Edgar Verdum, Garbrandt, Gaethje, Gastelum, Usman. He manages a lot more than that. He manages, uh, I think, 200 guys total and something like 100 UFC fighters. Something insane. Uh, he has a great deal of power and pull in the sport. He does now. He didn't always, but he does now. I mean, look, the best if you want good critical coverage of him, um, Karim Zidane has done a lot. Uh, Kareem Zidane, pardon. Um, you can go check that out. I have not read it. Jesus, I can really keep up with that guy. So prolific. I don't know all the things he said, but he has done a lot uh, of work. Of course, to the extent that anyone had any ties to Kadyrov, you can go check that out. I know Mike Russell has done some work about it. I'm not here to say that. And by the way, Mike Russell had done tremendous work after the death of Tim Haig uh, as it relates to Ali Abdelaziz. I'm willing to believe anything that uh, Mike says, but I would need um, independent corroboration of some of the things that's said in there because some of those things are you know, those are heavy accusations. They, they, I'm not saying they're not true. I'm just saying personally, I would need to see them. Um, I would need to see an evidentiary basis for them. Um, I know that, uh, let's see, uh, Crooklyn over a bloody elbow was saying, God, what was the exact nature of her complaint? Um, what was the complaint? It was, I guess Ali had said something on Ariel's show. Oh, I think journalists who criticize them are either Either I could be getting this wrong, jealous or paid by another manager. Managers are too too cheap to do that. Let me assure you. So so no, don't buy into any of that. Uh, here's here's my general rule on a career, whether it's Ali or anybody else. I don't have any relationships with any managers, uh, Ali included, for the most part. Um, no, I don't have any relationship. Well, I mean, what do you mean by no relationships? It's not that I don't have a I don't talk to them as a blackout. But here's my general rule. I made a decision early on in my career to not have close relationships with managers. And that comes at costs and that comes with some benefits. What are the costs? You'll notice I don't break a lot of news stories about fights being made. 
That is a, or almost never. That is because I don't have hardly any contact with managers. I very rarely speak to them, any of them, whether that's Mokikawa, Brian Butler, Ali Abdelaziz. I have occasional contact with them. It's not that I have some, again, some media blackout policy, but I don't, I, I try to keep as much distance as I, as I reasonably can without being, you know, some kind of a, uh, a D bag. Uh, although that can be a challenge in and of itself, uh, but you get the idea. So, and the reason why is, uh, again, the costs that can be, I don't break a lot of stories. Um, guest booking for me can be a lot harder as a consequence, right? Because I don't have these established relationships. Usually I have to go directly to the fighter or some other thing. And, uh, it, it creates some problems for me in a lot of, in a lot of respects, because you don't actually have those relationships built up where you can easily just call up a guy and it's not so easy, but nevertheless, I just made that choice early in my career. I found that I would much rather have the ability to speak not, I don't want to, I don't want to say horrible things about a person, but I'd like to be able to, in the course of some, you know, reasonably criticizing somebody, have that freedom and then not have to go back to the manager and ask them for anything. And that's true for all of them. I try to very much limit any, uh, interaction I have, uh, again, not, it's hard to explain when I say limit. Um, I'll take phone calls from people. I will occasionally make a phone call, but in the last, in the, all of 2017, how many times did I call a manager? Maybe twice, three times tops. That's in a full calendar year. You know, I just don't have communication with him. And that costs me sometimes. But in the end, I'd rather have the ability to offer a measure of candor about a fighter and not have to have the manager come back and be up in my grill. Because when I first started, that's exactly what they do. All of them do that. You talk about him having a gangster persona. Trust me, they to a fairly significant degree, they all kind of do that behind the scenes. If you say something you don't like and then you go back and try to have this was my experience. Now, maybe these other guys can navigate the space more effectively than I can. But in my personal opinion, I had a lot of problems trying to offer candid commentary and then having to go back and set up something on down the line. It was just a real big problem, even if the fighter themselves didn't necessarily have a problem with it. This was a this was a constant thing for me. So to me, it's like, do I have a lot of dealings with him? No, no, I really don't. I very rarely have his fighters on my show. Coincidentally, I think I have one today. But if you look at my show, you can see all the guys I've booked very, 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 very rarely is one of his guys on my show. Uh, I think it's Justin Gaethje. And, and I have, by the way, I have also farmed out all guest booking to my producers. I don't do it anymore. So, so the answer is, um, you are allowed to read whatever that and make of it. I don't, I don't have enough of a relationship with the guy to, um, to say a whole lot beyond what's already written out there. Other people have done a lot more research on this than me. And if you're looking, if you're like me and you want to get into media, you need to make a choice. At least I did. Again, maybe other guys in the space can navigate this better than I could. But for me, it was a pretty clear choice. I had to make a choice between um, what kind of, like, who did I want to be? Did I want to be more of an analyst type or not? And to, because I did, I was like, I'm going to limit my exposure to to all of them and. Um, I don't even know who manages half these guys. <laughs> like, if you ask me who's Donald Cerrone's manager, couldn't tell you. Oh, or n name a guy, Darren Till, couldn't tell you. Um, and that creates problems for me. But I'd rather have those problems than other problems. All right, the NBK. Thirsty up in here today. I think you mean the natural born killer. Yes, you do. Uh, one of the fights I am most looking forward to is at Glendale. Excuse, excuse me. 
One of the fights I am most looking forward to at Glendale is Condit versus Oliveira. So some questions about this. Who do you think, what do you think of Oliveira as a replacement opponent, better or worse than Brown? Hmm. Um, Brown's upside historically has been higher, but Oliveira is a rough and tumble fighter. And for a fighter like Condit, who was also that way, but appears to be on the other end of his career in that regard, um, it's a bad, it's a bad matchup. The only thing that's a bit of a saving grace is one, maybe Condit needed to get into a rhythm, uh, after his comeback and two, Oliveira's coming on a what, what relatively short notice. So that's the only thing I can say as a bit of a saving grace, but as a, like this guy is best versus that guy is best. It's a, it's a crazy one. How much do you think Condit has left in the tank? My hunch is not much, but I would love to be wrong. Would love to be wrong. And I've been wrong about many guys before. So you're going to ask me for a candid commentary. My, my hunch is probably not a lot, but let's give him another shot. If Condit loses, does this mean he is done? I would say if he gets viciously KO'd, it does. And I would say if he gets kind of beaten, to, like here's how you knew BJ Penn was done in that Yair fight. If somebody asked you, what is a telltale sign that somebody is shopworn? Done. Someone is just washed up. You know, if you want to use that word, I don't like using that term because it feels so disrespectful. But just done. Let's just let's use that one. How do you know that somebody is done? If you put them in a fight. Oh, here we go. Breaking. ESPN and NBC to split expanded TV package. Holy crap. Are you kidding me? Someone says on Therese Owens, which is a gossipy site, but whatever. The deal is worth a total of 300. Let me. Uh, that's crazy. Hold on. It's happened during the chat, y'all. Here we go. Oh, for crying out loud. The deal is worth a total of $320 million, $160 million year each. ESPN and NBC to pay for production. Current UFC deal, pays, they pay for their own production. ESPN and NBC will also have streaming rights and the Fight Pass prelims moving to their streaming platforms. Contender series to replace the Ultimate Fighter. Each network gets one season uh, each per year. Pay-per-views reduced to six a year. New weight classes to be added to help fill the increased fight nights. Men 165, female 105. Each network will have exclusive rights to certain fighters, similar to how HBO and Showtime have their own boxers, which they develop and build outside of pay-per-view. Remember, you heard it here first. What? What? That needs to be verified. That is crazy if that is true. Are you kidding me? Hold on. Is there any chatter on the MMA fighting donkeys about this? Let's see what's up with the group emails. Nothing yet. That is, cr I'm sorry. I had my mind blown by that. Are y'all crazy? Let me read that one more time. Someone says the deal is worth a total of 320 million, 160 million a year each. ESPN and NBC to pay for production. I had heard that they had wanted to do that. Remember, this is unverified. Just keep this in mind. 
ESPN and NBC will also have streaming rights and the Fight Pass prelims moving to their streaming platforms. They're just going to duff on Fight Pass? Contender series to replace the Ultimate Fighter. Each network gets one season each per year. Boy, I would be very happy with that. Pay-per-views reduced to six a year. New weight classes to be added to help fill the increased fight nights. They don't say how many shows a year. Men 165, they would be in a female atom weight. Each network will have exclusive rights to certain fighters, similar to how HBO and Showtime have their own boxers, which they develop and build outside of pay-per-view. Remember, you heard it here first. Well, that is uh, batshit crazy. Some of that, though, rings true. I knew they didn't want to do their own production anymore. Uh, That is wild. Sorry, I'm at a loss for words on that one. Um, That would be a bit of a surprise, too, that ESPN would be involved. Jesus, I don't even know what to say about that. That is crazy. That is absolutely, totally bonkers and crazy. Six pay-per-views a year? It's almost like they listened. <laughs> like It can't be right because it sounds like they're listening. Wow. So one pay-per-view every other month? Huh. Man, that is crazy. That is absolutely crazy. All right, well, let's get back to this. I'm sorry. I, I got that was that was wild. What are folks saying about this? Sorry, all but they had the breaking news on there. Your boy gets your boy gets interested. Sorry if you guys hear all the news of oh, the the banging. It's the uh again, it's not my neighbors enjoyed in one another in 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 glee. It is uh it is the construction crew. All right, let me get back to this Condit stuff. I'll wait for some of this to pile up. If Condit loses, does this mean he is done? As I mentioned, how do you think the fight will go? I think I think Condit's going to get roughed up over the over a few rounds. Uh, he might make it to a decision, but I suspect it'll be the second or third round TKO for Cowboy Oliveira. Lastly, are there any other fights at uh, UFC Glendale you are personally excited for? I'm excited for a lot of them, if I could be honest. Let me pull that up as I wait for... More news to come in. Man, that would be crazy. Y'all hear that? Uh, Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje. I mean, impossible to hate. Carlos Condit, Alex Oliveira. Israel Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori. Can't wait. And then Michelle Waterson versus Courtney Casey. Also pretty good. Then on your Fox portion of the prelims, Tim Boach versus Shoeface. Yeah. Shoeface, I would argue, has the some of the best and the most modern BJJ in all of MMA at a high level. Muslim Salikov taking on Ricky Rainey. Wilson Hayes versus John Moraga. Yes, please. Christoph Jocko versus Brad Tavares. Then you move to the preliminary card. Another guy who's got superb BJJ. Durino, Gilbert Burns taking on Dan Moray. Shana Dobson versus Lauren Muller. Diego Lima versus Yushin Okami. Interesting there. Arjun Buller. Oh, I'm interested in that against Adam Wizorek. And then there's a couple other ones. Matthew Lopez, Alejandro Perez. And then Luke Sanders is back against Patrick Williams. Um... So far, not a lot of chatter about this yet, which tells me people are looking into it. But yeah, it caught my attention. All right, we'll see. Add on. 
I do not normally pay much attention to the odds, but according to them, Oliveira is a sizable favorite over Condit. Not saying that Oliveira is a bad fighter, but does this show how far Condit has fallen? That some sites have Oliveira as a two-to-one favorite over him. Y- yeah. He was gone for a while. What? Um, yeah, it does. Guys, he had a long layoff and he took huge beatings, huge, lengthy, prolonged beatings. And he didn't look, sorry, I mentioned what's the, what's the sign that someone looks like they're shop worn? It's when they don't throw back. You look at BJ Penn in that year fight. He just kind of, he wasn't getting knocked out. He was just kind of, you know, over and over again. Uh, Condit doesn't do that, at least not yet. So that tells me there's some life left in him. But how much, we're going to have to see. Uh, what do you make of Condit's career as a whole? I think he is a Hall of Famer. I think he is just shy of Hall of Fame territory. So it says, also, your WrestleMania watch party was really funny. Thank you for watching. I appreciate it. Uh, someone says, great work. This is a green. I'm not even making it up. This is green. Great work for me this week. Just wanted to say thanks and good job for all the work you did last week. Well, thank you. That's very nice of you. It was crazy. And without you and Ariel, it would have been frustrating not knowing what was going on. I enjoyed all the extra content you put up. Appreciate you guys as well, man. Can't do it without you. Uh, let's see. Ooh, Bale is starting against Juventus. All right. Habib's comments on George Lockhart working with Max Holloway. Hey, Luke. Uh, in a high-profile fight, it would be difficult for fighters to share a coach who's knowledgeable the other fighters' game plan, strengths, and weaknesses. Is it a conflict of interest for a nutritionist to work with fighters on both sides of a bout who would be privy to a fighter's condition, shape, weight, and cardio, etc.? It really depends on the relationship and the value and, uh, excuse me, it depends on the relationship with the fighter and then the nutritionist, as well as um, what they are legally and not legally obligated to say. In fact, if somebody had a really good ability to always make sure somebody made weight, and again, I, I think it would be a little bit unfair to criticize George Lockhart here because of what the NSAC, NYSAC did. But what I'm, what I'm saying is um, if someone was like, look, I have an NDA, I can't tell this other person about their condition, I can only tell you about yours, and they were actually reasonably, not reasonably, they were fully ad- ad- adhering to those concerns i wouldn't have much of a problem i would say sure because you would want the best guys doing the best work right or the most important work um you wouldn't want to leave it to chance now if those guys were not very good that would be a bit of a problem but you would imagine if habib and max holloway now a champion and certainly one who was a champion before the week were using him that would speak highly of his ability i'm only pointing out it really just depends on um there should be some kind of contract that would stipulate this thing leave nothing to chance all the elite fighters do not leave anything to chance other than what they absolutely have to when the bell rings and nothing more. That's what I would say. Habib mentioned that Lockhart was no longer working with him because he liked Max more than him. I had George on my show as well. Did Habib make these comments and fire Lockhart because George tried to work with both Max and Habib? I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, he was kind of coy about it on my show saying, um, you know, we're just, we, could, we couldn't come together for this one. But he said, I think he told me he would, they were still working together in the future. So keep that in mind.
What should be next for Zabit? Didn't he call out uh, Yair? I would love to see that. I would love to see that. Poirier versus Gaethje. Hi, Luke and fellow MMA fans. I'm so pumped for this fight. And with Tony and Connor possibly out all year, this fight may even have title implications. Can you give us your thoughts on this fight? Man, I cannot wait for this contest. To me, uh, it's a tough fight. for. Here's, here's what this one comes down to for me. Dustin Poirier is probably the overall, certainly the more talented striker of the two. Not as good of a wrestler, but pretty good in his own right. And Justin Gaethje isn't necessarily the best striker, but because he takes so much risk, he can be a very effective striker. And plus those leg kicks are brutal and, and interesting and nasty as well. So to me, it's the same question that he faced in the Alvarez contest because Poirier is probably not going to try and take him down, I don't think. Um, ooh, that's a good point. Hold on here. Um, is Poirier capable of avoiding the onslaught from Gaethje long enough to cause enough damage to win? Or conversely, uh, is Justin Gaethje, in other words, can, um, how much damage has he taken? Right, because if he's taken too much damage at this point, which we don't know, probably not true yet, because he has a, seems to have a high tolerance for it. But if he hasn't taken too much damage, is he going to have the ability to over, overcome some of the pinpoint sharpshooting of Poirier? So the question comes down to how disciplined can Poirier stay? How damaged is uh, Justin Gaethje? And Nary the Twain, or right in the middle, is where the two are, are going to meet. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be an absolute barn burner. Two action fighters, two high-level action fighters, two guys with different skill sets coming right at each other. Can't can't possibly wait more. Um, or well, I can, but you know what I'm saying. I, I, I'm very, very excited about this contest. Where do you think the winner goes next? The top of the lightweight division is getting quite bottlenecked with Habib, Tony, Connor, Love Triangle. Poirier still has the Alvarez fight to write, and Gaethje would be great with anyone. That one's tough because when is Connor going? Excuse me, when is Tony going to return? Maybe he fight, maybe the winner fights Tony, and then that person gets a title shot. If Connor doesn't come back, or if Connor comes back, they do. It's going to be really hard to say, really hard to say. Um, but I'm excited. I am very excited. Interesting. Barbas. Well, first, people always spell Barbas's name wrong. This one spells it Barabas, which it's not. I've also seen it spelled Bar B A R B I S Barbas. It's Barbas, right? It's beards, plural. Barba, Spanish. Barbas, beards. Luke, can we see the other dog and get some info about him or her? Not only shine the spotlight on old Bar Barabas. Uh, yes, I would. But my other dog. Do I have a nice picture for you to show you guys? Let me see. Let me pull up one here. Show you donks. Um, she's big. She's like 40 pounds. And she's really shy. So it makes it kind of hard to show anything. She like I have to pick her up on camera and nobody ever wants to see that. I've got all these pictures from Fight Week. 
Let me find this joker here real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick. All these fight week pictures are so funny. Let's see. Then all these photos from Awesome Con. Hold on. I got one here. I got one here. Here. This is Mirena. This is Lola. Let me put this up so you guys can see. There. That is my other dog, Lola, on the couch, sleeping. She's a little bit older. She's like 11. She has one blue eye, one brown eye. Half husky, half chow, and is the sweetest, sweetest uh, dog you've met in your life. Could, couldn't be a better dog if they're just, just an absolute angel and joy to be around every day. What do you make of Dana's flip-flop on McGregor? Not much. How does one go from the most despicable thing to we're good? I've heard some interesting theories. Now that Connor is in trouble, it'll be easier to leverage. Pay-per-view buys were not what they had hoped, so Mac will be treated with kid gloves. The pay-per-view buys were great, and Connor is back in good graces. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this one's really simple, to be quite honest. I think his initial reaction was something probably close to candid, and his subsequent reaction was something close to calculated based on future needs. Maybe someone had – I talked to Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He surmises that maybe you – know, just theorizing – Someone from WME came in and was like, uh, we got to rethink this. Maybe that's it. Maybe he calmed down and realized whatever. The point being is they still need to go into business. They still need to go into business. They still have work to do together. Uh, as I mentioned, he's still very much a viable business entity. Uh, people still want to see him compete. And they're still to a fairly significant degree reliant upon him. So... I think he had a bit of a moment there where he came back and said, uh, yeah, maybe we should do this differently. You know, this is why this is why the whole, you know, getting rid of uh, what you call it, Paul Daly over the strike afterwards. Well, you can never do that in the UFC. Well, you can if you're important enough, it turns out. It turns out. But you can't if you're not. Uh, let's see. All right, it is roughly, no, not quite. Hold on. All right, WrestleMania. Jesus, more questions about this? Can you describe the depths of your shame? I don't have a whole lot of shame left anymore. In all seriousness, I'm curious about what the experience was like for you. Did you enjoy yourself? No, it was terrible. It was really, 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 really bad. It was really bad, and I never want to do that again. So, but if y'all liked it, I'm not here to talk you out of it or try and take it away from you. That's all I can say. Let's see. Um, what if the NYAC, NYSAC, New York State Athletic Commission handed down multiple year suspension? Hi, Luke. Thanks for all the content. Quick question. Most people have focused on potential lawsuits from fighters against McGregor and the fact that there is no way the UFC cuts him. But what if the NYSAC hands down a four or five year suspension to McGregor? He's not licensed with them, so I'm not sure what they could do. 
He did, after all, injure multiple fighters on a sanctioned card in their jurisdiction. And based on their logic, Felder can't fight Habib because they've made it rankings. Who knows what they'll do? If they give him a long suspension, which they can't because he's not licensed, other athletic commissions will honor that, right? Yes, if they did, they would. I haven't really heard this possibility being discussed and would love to hear your take on it. Yeah, I guess unless unless and until he is licensed there, they can't hand they can't suspend someone who doesn't have a license there. Maybe if he applies for one, they'll deny it, although I have a hard time believing that. Maybe if they do, they'll put certain conditions on it, I suppose. But beyond that, um, it'll be hard to say. Uh, okay. There's another question here that I'll get to on a written sign. Oh, it's 2.15 anyway. So let's go to the Twitter machine. All right, here we go. Luke, what are your thoughts on the so-called MMA fans accusing Borg for looking for a way out after the bus attack happened? I really, I mean, look, on one level, you could always understand that if somebody got injured in some kind of accident where the person who did the injuring was rich, everybody would want to get get rich off of that person, right? It seems like in modern America, this is a thing that we just know to be know to be true. Um, however, uh, the issue is less about uh, well, it's not less about it, but the issue to me was that they were saying he wasn't injured at all, and they were doing this thing where they were like, "Well, he had glasses on." And as people began to weigh in on this ish- situation, who said, "Right." Um, well, like, look, like I work in a factory and these are not, you know, these are not the kind of glasses we would ever use in a situation like this. You ever seen like those factory goggles? Like they're all encompassing, like you're going snorkeling or something, right? At every possible angle. And then he had to go and post his 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 note up there and things like that. Look, it's it, it's again, it's not that you can't imagine in some kind of abstract way that somebody might want to do something like that. However, I, I, I I just find it weird that like, and some of the fans are split on this. Like some people, these are not the same groups, but it's just weird that fans on the one end uh, are, um, they adore fighters. And then on the other end, they think that they're these brazen malingerers. And I just don't, I just don't understand that really that how you could have, I mean, it is possible to be both those things or be object of both those things in a way that would make sense, but not, 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 not really like what evidence does somebody have that Borg was malingering? You don't have much other than a bit of a suspicion. And the bigger issue to me, I brought it up before. I'll bring it up again. The Tom Nichols book called the death of expertise. A big part of that book is devoted to when do you know that you are having an informed conversation and when do you know you're not? And the answer is very often, even in good faith, you don't actually know when you're having an informed conversation. Um, so to that end, people looking at him and saying, well, look at his glasses. They clearly would have protected him. He's just making this up. Un- unless you are a ophthalmologist uh, or, or an optometrist or whatever, or you are somebody who knows safety standards for eye protection, you're probably not in any way capable of making any kind of assessment about what degree he is injured or not. Moreover, we are talking about a portion of the population that is usually in almost every circumstance, very rarely is this not true, willing to hide injury or prevent it um, or uh, or prevent showing it or to disguise it as a way of getting to the finish line to go make money. They aren't, they're not, they're not typically very sophisticated in terms of conniving. Again, some will cut corners. 
Some will malinger, I'm sure it's happened, of course. But when you get to this level, it's fairly rare. And if you're going to make those kinds of accusations, you should have a really good reason to do that. And when you begin to also realize that the basis of your argument is, well, me, person who knows nothing about the eye other than I have one, but I don't, I've never studied it in any kind of medical capacity whatsoever, uh, and I don't understand um, eye injuries. You know, you know, can someone really tell me in great detail without looking at Wikipedia what a corneal abrasion is? Someone showed me a slide of an eye and what that would look like and what – I mean, I certainly can't do that. I don't know anything about that. And I think there's a lot of people who just assume that they have this access to this knowledge um, because – because um, it just seems intuitive to them, but they're just they're just sharing an uninformed conversation. Let's see. How did you feel about Max getting pulled? I had mixed feelings. I was sad because I was excited for it. I uh, relieved to not see a great champion get beat up. Suspicious of the NY Commission, then grateful of them in case they were being dramatic. My general sense was I was upset that they had pulled him. I trust that he probably could have made the weight without too much issue if they had let him. And um, I thought that that was, if what they're saying is true, that this was based on looks and not weight, I certainly understand that they don't want to have, I mean, you got to imagine this is a commission where not, what, a year or two ago, they've had like terrible tr- trauma happen in one of their boxing rings. They're going to be a little bit on edge. They're going to be a little bit on edge. They're going to go and make. They're going to make decisions all for safety, maybe in a way that is aggressive relative to the rest of the uh, other commissions out there. So I thought it was. I thought it was from what everything I've heard, not a particularly defensible decision. But again, I wasn't there. I don't know what they're talking about. You have to always be aware of to what extent are you having an informed conversation about something. People get on my ass sometimes. They're like, oh. You aren't, um, you know, you say, I don't know a lot. Well, right. I don't know a lot. And most people out there actually don't know a lot. I'm happy to admit that. Uh, I think I have enough to reasonably carry a chat for an hour and a half once a week, but but about an expert or about a, a topic that I've been involved in for about 10 or more years in a professional capacity. But sure, there's a lot of things I really don't know. I really don't know, and I'm happy to admit as much. With the NYSAC pulling Holloway from cutting to 55 due to him not looking right, does this mean that potentially NYSAC would prevent him from fighting in New York at 145 due to weight concerns? Uh, it would depend on how he came in on fight week. It would depend entirely how he came in on fight week, but I could imagine them being a little bit aggressive about that or, or other fighters as well who can make those cuts but can make those cuts by like either the skin of their teeth or because they're able to shed more weight than somebody else. Which side of the fence are you on with respect to Tony and Habib? Do you give up trying to make their fight happen, or do you keep persisting until it eventuates? I still want to see this fight. You keep doing it as long as you have to, for me. I know everyone's like sick of of that fight, but to me, it's like if he's at the top of the food chain and the other guy is the champion, well, then you just keep trying. Now, you might want to do it on a card that's like an all-lightweight card, so you can mix and match the pieces in case something else happens, but, um, but yeah, yeah. Somebody says just wanted to say thank you to the MMA Fighting Team for tremendous media coverage over the craziest weekend in UFC history. Much appreciated. Keep up the good work. Thank you, good sir. I greatly appreciate it. 
Uh, predict Connor's real punishment, then give your opinion what a fair punishment would have been. I'm not much inclined to go beyond what the court might say. I don't have any kind of axe to grind, um, especially against Connor. And, you know, oh, we got to go get him. I, my only point previously was that if nothing substantive happens to him here, what lesson will he infer down the road about something else? And that would be that would be a potential problem. It's not that like, oh, let's hammer him because because we don't like him. It's um, maybe if he gets somewhat hammered now, we can avoid a worse situation. You can be like, well, what makes you think it'll be a worse situation? I mean, I'm not Miss Cleo. I can't predict the future, but I'm just sort of looking around and saying to myself, is this the end of it? I hope. I certainly hope. But if you've never really faced any seriously significant consequence for an act, it, it, and you and again, he believes. I think he maybe he'll state something different for the court come June or whenever that is. But he had stated pretty pretty closely that he felt morally justified in doing it, right? According to what Dana White said. Now we have to hear him, but you get the idea. Uh, let's see. Um, where are we? Oh, right. Can UFC be accused of racism by Jason High and Semtex? Life bans for them, while the Great White Hope CMG does far worse things with no repercussion. I doubt it was racial, although there are obviously some racial dynamics there in play. Um, but no, I think it had to do with power. I think it had everything to do with power. Hi, Luke. Fantasy matchups. Habib versus Wonderboy. It's a tough one. I guess Habib. Poirier versus Stevens. Poirier. Zabit versus Ortega. Oof. Probably Ortega at this point. And then Ali Abdelaziz versus John Kavanaugh. Uh, I'll just say Ali. No, I'll say John. Um, and he thanks me for this. So thank you back. How did you like Jimmy Smith's debut? It was not his debut. He seems to have a looser Brian Stan vibe. Very knowledgeable. And we'll critique fighters, but not as buttoned up as Stan. I liked it. Well, definitely not his debut. He did the Austin card, and he did the Perth card. He may have done another one. This was his debut with Rogan, but and it wasn't. His, but it wasn't his UFC debut period or his UFC pay per view debut. It was neither of those things. Um, I like him a lot. I thought he was the strongest performer on that night. To be quite honest, uh, he does a ton of homework. It shows. He cares. It shows. He's got a really f broadcast friendly style. Um, he doesn't get in his own head too much. I think he's awesome. I think the closer Stan analog at this point is probably going to be either a Cruz, although he's different, but maybe a Paul Felder type. Um, but I think very, very, very highly of Jimmy Smith's commentary. He is an excellent uh, addition to that commentary team, and it's pretty hard to go wrong with him. If Rose can get by Andrade and or Torres, uh, who do you see giving a uh, her a real challenge? Well, getting by Andrade and Torres is no easy matter. Torres, she already did once, but Andrade, I don't know. But if that's the case, that's going to be hard to know at that point, right? Andrade, maybe Gedalia can give her a run for her money, you know? But I have a hunch that Andrade might be a little bit too physical for her. I guess we'll see. My thoughts on the Connor situation, this person writes. Number one, Artem is a grown man. He isn't a damsel in distress. Right, but the people shouldn't be up in his face either. 
Connor, much like Covington, is a fraud, this person writes, and he's not a real street dude. Well, I don't think he's not a tough person, but no. All these guys who fashion themselves Escobar types aren't aren't those guys, and I say that as a compliment. Nothing significant will happen to him legally. Probably. His minions will be his demise like Tyson. Okay, that's that person's opinion. Before the main event, which fight are you looking forward to at UFC Glendale? Again, Adesanya versus Vittori. Uh, let's see. How much will Habib's game change if his opponent refuses to try to get up using the cage and commits to holding and attacking from guard? I think Tony can give Habib real problems from his guard, and Connor applied a similar strategy against Mendez. I think unless you have a very, very good guard, he can tread it, and I don't know why you would want to put the fight in a place where Habib wants it. Go, so I've said this before. I'll say it again. Submitting somebody from guard who's good, let's call it black belt level, right? Submitting somebody from guard at black belt, either in MMA or in jiu-jitsu, is very rare. Very rare. You almost never see it because it's super, super hard to do. You add in on the MMA side, ground and pound, particularly on the top side, I don't like the chances. It's not that somebody can't get close or threaten at times because they probably can, or they might even get the submission. But I wouldn't bet on it. I don't think that's the best way to fight Habib, to be quite honest. I think you have to stop his takedowns as much as possible and then get in his face, back him up, maybe even take him down and really put it on him. You have to do to him what he does to others. But I think just giving him the fight from top control, I I don't like that at all. Uh, let's see. Some of these are really long. With all the chaos MMA has gone through this year and part of last year, what keeps you engaged and still passionate about the sport? Ooh, um, everything. I love fighting. I will probably always love fighting. Um, it's not hard for me to keep my enthusiasm. All right. Well, we're just about out of time. So hold on. Uh-oh. There we are. Um, all right. So let's do this. We have to go. I appreciate everybody tuning in. There are a couple extra questions I'll get to after, not even this, but my radio show. I'll come and write some responses in there. appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, there are going to be, let's see, post-fight and pre-fight stuff for, on MMA fighting for UFC Glendale. Sean L. Shoddy is out there, so stay tuned on MMAfighting.com as well as the YouTube channel. Thank you guys so much for watching, and until next time, my friends. Stay frosty.